0: This is Ozarks at Large for Monday, October 25th, 2021 on your public radio station, KUAF, a listener-supported service of the School of Journalism and Strategic Media at the University of Arkansas. I'm Kyle Kellams. Thanks for being with us today. Ahead this hour, Randy Wilburn is the creator and host of the I Am Northwest Arkansas podcast, and he's moderating a series of discussions in conjunction with the Northwest Arkansas Council called Onward Ozarks. This week, One of those panel discussions is taking place. He'll be with six doctors talking about health, the virus, and vaccines.
1: Six doctors on this panel to answer any questions that people have about this pandemic and about the vaccine, about the virus. And this is a neutral panel. This is not a panel to beat people over their head for not getting the vaccine. Our conversation about the panel discussions,
0: the I Am Northwest Arkansas podcast, and more later this hour. In about four minutes, some local schools are adopting rapid tests to find out if students have contracted COVID-19. Ozarks at Large's Jacqueline Froelich has that report just ahead. The number of people in Arkansas with COVID-19 continues to drop. Active cases in the state fell by another 210 in yesterday's report from the Arkansas Department of Health. There are just more than 5,400 active cases in the state, the lowest number in three months. Yesterday's report also included. 14 additional deaths from the virus. Governor Asa Hutchinson is continuing to defend his opposition to state-level vaccine mandates to prevent COVID-19. During an interview on CNN's State of the Union broadcast yesterday, the governor said imposing a state mandate would not be worth the controversy it would create.
2: Well, it would, it would probably increase vaccination rates, uh, but it also would increase uh, the resistance of some. Some would lose their job. It would hurt their families and uh, it would in the broader population also uh, create that controversy and resistance
0: according to the centers for disease control and prevention arkansas with 47 percent of the total population vaccinated still ranks among the states with the lowest vaccination rates talk business and politics reports the number of people employed in september 2021 in arkansas was three and a half percent higher than the number employed in september 2020 and the unemployed population fell by more than 30 percent year-to-year. Arkansas's official jobless rate for September was 4 percent. That's a drop of two-tenths of a percent from August, and well below the mark of 5.9 percent recorded in September 2020. This weekend's Mid-America Emmy Award program included winners from our region. Larry Foley, the chair of the University of Arkansas Department of Journalism, was awarded an Emmy for Best Direction for his documentary, Indians, Outlaws, Marshals, and The hangin' Judge. A team from KNWA Television earned an award for Best News Promotion. And Arkansas PBS came back from the ceremony with several awards, including Emmys for Blueberry's Clubhouse, a program aimed at children. The venerable War Memorial Stadium in Little Rock may soon have a new name. Negotiations are underway for the stadium's naming rights to be acquired by Pine Bluff-based Simmons Bank. After the agreement is final, the stadium will be known as Simmons Bank Field. The stadium first opened in the 1940s. And the number four Arkansas Razorback soccer team is, again, SEC regular season champs. Arkansas shut out Mississippi State 2-0 last night in Fayetteville to claim the outright title. It was the 14th consecutive win for the Razorbacks. Up next, the regular season finale at LSU Thursday night. This is Ozarks at Large. Four Arkansas school districts, including Springdale, are participating in a pilot program to help reduce the need to quarantine due to exposure to COVID-19. And a private school in Bentonville, Thayton School, is receiving praise from state leaders for high vaccination rates among students, faculty, and staff, resulting in not having to quarantine. Ozarks at Large's Jacqueline Froelich reports.
3: When public schools opened for in-person learning in Arkansas in late August, new COVID-19 cases among students surged. Protective measures taken by districts, including quarantine and pivots to remote learning, have yielded a gradual decline in cases. Until last week, students were required by the state to quarantine if they had been within six feet of an infected individual for at least 15 minutes. Now, quarantine is required only if a student has been within three feet of a person for 15 minutes. Also in Arkansas, four school districts are trying rapid COVID-19 testing to reduce quarantine. One of those districts, Springdale Public Schools, the largest in the state, with 21,700 students, began rapid testing week before last, says communication director Trent Jones.
4: And really the goal is we want to try to keep healthy students, healthy kids in school. And what we were seeing with the quarantining rules that were in place was that by and large, um, healthy students who were probable close contacts were being sent home. And so what we worked with was working on this pilot program called Test to Stay. And essentially what happens is if you are a probable close contact in a school, it's in school only, it's not community spread, it's in school. If you are a probable close contact, you have the option to opt in to a Test to Stay program.
3: Rapid diagnostic COVID-19 tests, which are commercially available, detect viral proteins known as antigens. An antigen test detects active infection, not the presence of COVID-19 antibodies. Antibody tests detect past infection. Rapid antigen tests are less accurate, but offer quick results.
4: And essentially what you do is uh, you take a rapid test every day, you wear a mask, Um, It's seven days from exposure, and if you show no symptoms and you test negative, you stay in school, and you just really think about the impact that that has on our community. Um, As we all know, school is the heartbeat of a community, uh, and when school is safe and functioning, it really helps the community to be uh, safe and functioning. Moms and dads can go to work and businesses are flourishing and kids are learning and the future of our communities are protected.
3: Masking is not mandated in Springdale Public Schools, but is encouraged, Joan says, as our vaccinations for students age 12 and over. Rapid COVID-19 test kits cost around $25 retail. The four pilot school districts, however, are being supplied with kits by the state. Uh,
4: I believe we received about 36 boxes, and there's 40 tests in each uh, box, um, and so that comes from the state, uh, and and we have those, and and we are deploying them as as needed. It's every one of our buildings. Everybody's eligible to participate if they want.
3: Arkansas Department of Education guidelines allow certain exemptions for COVID-19 quarantine in schools. A student or employee who's been vaccinated or have recovered from a recent active COVID-19 infection are exempt, as is a student or employee who are masked when coming into contact with an infected person but of 276 school districts in Arkansas, less than half, 111, last count, mandate masks, which medical experts say really work to blunt viral particle spread. Measurable outcomes from the rapid test pilot programs in the four school districts, which was recently extended to include extracurricular activities, will be processed and results released by the state later this fall.
4: It is our intention to uh, keep going until we receive direction from the state uh, to uh, provide that data or to cease the pilot program. Uh, We plan on continuing to implement as many tools of safety that we have at our disposal as possible for as long as needed.
3: During the first week of school in late August, pediatric cases of COVID-19 reached an all-time high in Arkansas, 1,022, up 800% from June 30th. Over 28,000 additional pediatric infections have occurred since. Benton, Washington, and Pulaski counties currently have the highest number of active COVID-19 cases, which has killed over 8,200 Arkansans, including three children. Schools that deploy a rapid testing program or have a high vaccination rate in Arkansas are able to waive COVID-19 quarantine.
5: My name is Clayton Marsh. I'm the head of school. Faden uh, is a independent school in uh, Bentonville, Arkansas. We currently serve grades six through 12 um, and our enrollment is uh, just short of 280 students.
3: Like all Arkansas schools, Thaden was forced to close after a global pandemic was declared in March 2020, offering classes virtually, returning to campus-based instruction. A year ago, Pam Crisco, a family nurse practitioner, operates Thaden School's medical clinic, which also offers urgent care. We've continued
6: with the masks, as you can see. We still stay masked. Um, We encourage distancing, but that's not as stringent as it used to be, also based on ADH and CDC guidelines. And it continues to work very well for us.
3: Crisco says school faculty and staff's vaccination rate at Thayden School is 92%.
6: And then within our student population, as soon as it was um, authorized for 12 through 16-year-olds, we had a very similar situation of we had many parents and students uh, who were very eager to get those shots in arms. Our overall vaccination rate of students and employees uh, as of last count a week or two ago was at 76 percent.
3: And the consequence of a robust school-wide vaccination rate? So if we,
6: if we do have a positive case on campus, it means that that any students or employees that have been in direct contact with them no longer have to go into a seven, 10 or 14 day quarantine. Faden uh, schools leadership has taken a very steady, slow conservative approach to lifting risk mitigation factors or even a return to campus. And I think it's, it's served us very well. And our, our community members have been very supportive of that. And that has made my job much easier, too.
3: With Arkansas still near the bottom for number of residents fully vaccinated, Arkansas Governor Asa Hutchinson publicly lauded Thaden School for its high vaccination status. Again, Thaden head of school, Clayton Marsh.
5: Our teaching methods, our pedagogy is very interactive. And I think many of our families were eager to see us, not just get back on campus, but get back into that mode of learning and teaching. And they knew that the vaccine was our best way to get there. Um, that having high levels of vaccination on campus would allow us to have that close knit sort of interactive teaching model um, back, uh, back in action. So, I'd say that, I mean, we're very proud of the degree to which our school community has embraced the vaccine as our best protection against uh, the virus. And it's been inspired, I think, not just by a desire to protect oneself, but by a desire to protect both the greater community and to protect the quality of the Thaden education and its distinctive uh,
3: features. And as a national COVID-19 vaccination campaign for children ages 5 to 11 gears up in the U.S. and with youngsters able to finally, after 10 months of waiting, get shots that will likely further drive down new COVID-19 infection in Arkansas and keep kids in school. For Ozarks at Large, I'm Jacqueline Froelich. If you'd like to share
0: a news report, interview, or feature story you hear on Ozarks at Large with somebody, we've made that very easy to do. Just go to OzarksAtLarge.com, find the story, and then find the link associated with that story, and you can share that story using that link through email and social media. OzarksAtLarge.com.
3: I'm Tanya Mosley. China is exploiting how online search engines work and spreading rumors that COVID-19 came from a U.S. Army lab.
0: Essentially, carpet bombing certain keywords with just any pieces of content, when people search for that keyword, they are more likely to get the conspiracy theorist point of view.
3: Next time on Here and
0: Now. Here and Now, this afternoon at 1 on KUAF. Overdoses of the synthetic opioid fentanyl are causing more deaths than methamphetamines in Arkansas. On Arkansas PBS this week, Kirk Lane. The Arkansas Drug Director said the state's efforts to address the latest trend in the opioid epidemic include more than law enforcement initiatives and educational programs.
5: We're also building infrastructure and uh, the availability of medicated-assisted treatment, and we're also uh, developing a tremendous recovery community using peer recovery support specialists, people with lived experience, to
0: weigh into that, to take people Uh, and give them sustained uh, abilities to uh, recover. Also on Arkansas PBS this weekend, agents based in Little Rock with the Federal Bureau of Investigation and the Drug Enforcement Agency said large amounts of fentanyl are entering the state in the form of counterfeit pills or pills that are made to look like legitimate prescription medication like Xanax or Valium.
7: Ozarks at Large is underwritten, in part, by the Walton Family Charitable Support Foundation. KUAF is supported by Little Wing Productions, presenting the Marshall Tucker Band in concert this Friday, October 29th, at The Auditorium in Eureka Springs. Marshall Tucker hits include Heard It in a Love Song, Can't You See, Fire on the Mountain, and more. TheAuditorium.org for tickets and additional information.
0: This is Ozarks at Large. For more than two years, Randy Wilburn has hosted the podcast. I am Northwest Arkansas. Conversations with policymakers, creators, and many others in the region. New episodes are available every Monday. And this year, he started moderating a series of panel discussions called Onward Ozarks in conjunction with the Northwest Arkansas Council. The next such conversation is Thursday morning at nine and will feature several doctors discussing the latest in the fight against COVID-19. Those discussions held quarterly are on Zoom for now and are free to attend. But do require registration that's available through nwa org. Friday morning, Randy came to the Anthony and Susan Hoy News Studio to talk about his work, to share information. We asked him about the new panel discussion series.
1: The whole idea is the council, you know, I always like to say there's nothing new under the sun, but there there have been other programs like this around the country, and the inspiration of this program came from, I think, something that actually Rob Smith told me happened in Springfield, Missouri. Rob is with the council. Rob, Rob Smith is with the council, uh, is a very good friend of mine. And uh, he was actually the individual that actually invited me to be a part of this program in this series. But uh, yeah, so th- it was a it was an idea that they wanted to kind of highlight a lot of the things that are happening in in our regional area, right? And 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 I stress that word regional because I think people need to understand that we're more than just Fayetteville, we're more than just Bentonville, we're more than just Rogers, and we're more than just Springdale. Although that is the that is the nucleus of it, and I think it, that this program is a way to kind of give people a regional taste of what we're all about and and what we're trying to do here in Northwest Arkansas as we continue to grow, as we continue to become one of the fastest growing MSAs in the United States. This next panel is all about medicine. It is, (laughs) for obvious reasons. (laughs) Yes, yes. (laughs) Yes.
0: Uh, You're not a doctor.
1: I am not. I am not. And nor do I play one on TV. So, you know, there.
0: I'm curious because I've done some of these things too. And when you're dealing with, I think you've got five doctors. Yes,
1: we have five amazing doctors. Um, we have uh, Dr. Sonal Bakhta, uh, Michael Bolding, uh, David Deschamps, uh, Sheldon Ricklin, and Dr. Marty Sharkey. And we all know Dr. Sharkey because she is the local doctor here in Fayetteville. And so she is the city health director for the city of Fayetteville. But all of these doctors, and there has been one late ad And unfortunately, I don't have his name in front of me, but there is one late ad of another doctor uh, that we are bringing on. So we'll actually have six doctors on this panel to answer any questions that people have about this pandemic and about the vaccine, about the virus. And this is a neutral panel. This is not a panel to beat people over their head for not getting the vaccine. I want to stress that because I think, you know, in, in a state like Arkansas, That is heavily divided in terms of the the people that, that are for the vaccine and against the vaccine. This is really for informational purposes. So if you're on the fence and you need a gentle nudge or you need maybe some more data to help you make a decision that's right for you and your family, this is the panel that you need to listen to.
0: This is the third one. What have the first two subjects been?
1: So the first two subjects, the first one was we had some of the um, leader leadership of Height Jackson on, which is a fabulous architectural firm based up north in, in Rogers. Height Jackson is the primary architect on the expansion for the Northwest. Um, uh, Arkansas Airport. Mm. So for XNA, there there's going to be a, a fabulous expansion and so we partnered up with them to do the first presentation and I worked with a couple of the folks up there and uh, they just walked us through what this what this is going to look like and so when you think of the the airport now and how you have to come down the escalators when you exit in the future you will be able to stay straight up on that second level and walk all, all the way out almost to where the parking garage is. It will connect with, with where the parking garage is. So it'll be a whole different experience. And if you're in the parking garage, you'll be able to walk almost right to your car without physically having to go on the street. If you're if you're parked further out in the economy parking where I like to park,
5: <laughs> then
1: then you can still take that and then, you know, you know, brave you don't have to brave the elements as fast. So like on those hot summer days or some of those really cold nights in the winter when you get back off a flight in December, you can you can stay inside warm before you go outside and the setting is going to be beautiful because the whole idea is that they have they have set it up from an architectural standpoint and from a design standpoint to kind of make you feel like they're embracing this whole idea of what the Ozarks is all about so you have almost a, a feeling of being outside even though you're inside when you come through that terminal and there'll be there'll be monitors and everything set up it's fabulous and i believe that you can still see um, the the link of the actual presentation that Height Jackson put together on the Northwest Arkansas Council website. And then the second one we talked about was um, uh, we just did about um, it was kind of a um, we brought experts in, from the area of journalism to talk about press releases and how to deal with the press, right? Because one of the challenges that we have seen during this pandemic is that people aren't really um, articulating, you know, what they're doing and what's going on and why, you know, the press should even care about, you know, their p- particular situation. And so we brought people like uh, Worth Sparkman on. From uh, Axios. From from Axios, uh, NWA. We brought um, uh, Chelsea uh, um, gosh, what is Chelsea's last name? I can't remember. She's a reporter for, um, yeah, uh, yeah. So and and then we, and then we brought a professor in from the University of Arkansas. We brought a, a number of experts in to talk about just how how you deal with the press and the best way to interact with them. The the two that have already happened. Can people. F- are they archived? Do you know if they're available? The, first, the second one is archived. Okay. Um, the first one I, I, I hate to report, and uh, we, we forgot to hit the record button. Kyle? I'm, I'm so glad you, to
0: hear other people dude, do this. Listen,
1: I mean, you know this because you've been in this even longer than I have, but uh, it's so funny when I record podcasts with people and 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 I it happens rarely but it does happen sometimes and you just forget to hit record and you're like everything I everything that came out of my mouth was gold and we didn't hit and we didn't hit record and that and that's honestly I can say that about um the height jackson presentation it was go- it was great we just did not hit record. So I do apologize about that. But We're it all is human. it is it is embedded in my memory. There you go. We're yeah, all human. Absolutely.
0: Well you mentioned your podcast. Let's talk about I am Northwest Arkansas.
1: How sure. long has that been going now? Man, it's uh it's been more than two years. I started in in April of twenty nineteen, uh, right after I left uh, my old job at Zwide Group. Shout out to those guys. But um I, I um I can't believe it. I'm hundred and forty two episodes, more than 90 hours worth of podcast programming uh, over almost a a two-and-a-half-year period uh, all about Northwest Arkansas. It started before the pandemic. It did. Continued through the pandemic. It
0: did. What was different between Uh, those two periods?
1: Man, well, okay, so I guess the first thing was, and this is all pre-vaccination, I I did get the vaccination because I wanted to be able to get back out and get around people as, as much as possible and not have a... Concern about bringing it home. I have an 11 year old who can't get the vaccine. My other kids do, and my wife has been vaccinated. So I just said, you know, and I, I just wanted to, I, I wanted to limit any downtime. So I, uh, I did everything I could. I did a lot of virtual podcast episodes. I use a, a great program. Uh actually I use two really good programs. One is called Squadcast and the other is called Zencaster and they mimic essentially what you would experience with Zoom but with a higher fidelity of audio. And so I use those two. And anybody that that does podcasting on a professional level or or d- does a regular show like I do cuz my show comes out every Monday rain or shine, you know, you have to rely on 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 better audio technology. And so I use one of those. And that, you know, I didn't miss a beat. I honestly did not miss a beat uh, i you know I, I I pivoted a few times and I did a couple of because i I saw that the need existed out there we We, we lost like twenty thousand service jobs i mean the, the you know people are still hurting from this pandemic. But um, I saw a need to provide information. I really wanted to um, share stories that some of the restaurants were going through. I had Jeremy Gothrop on. Um, I ended up bringing together a panel of local experts, including people like Gary Gary Head, uh, State Representative Denise Furman-Garner, and others on a panel to talk about how we can weather the storm. And I, I certainly I'm not going to take any credit for that panel, but I, th- I as I went back and listened to that panel later, you know, it was like man, it was there were a lot of prophetic words shared in terms of what could be and how we could get through this if we all kind of band together. And I and I do believe that in in a lot of respects, Northwest Arkansas banded together to to weather the storm um, that is. Covid nineteen and and we're still in the midst of it, but we're 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 starting to thaw and come out of that, and I'm I'm very excited about that. But I had a a, a opportunity to play a hand in that with the podcast and to keep keep stories coming for people because I think you know we were talking about this off off mic, um, stories are important, stories matter to people, and the whole goal behind I am Northwest Arkansas is to tell those stories. And share with the widest audience possible why this is such a great area and and the people that make it up, the the, uh, programs, the institutions that make up Northwest Arkansas and why it's so special.
0: Do you think it helped you personally to keep talking to people during the pandemic?
1: Oh, it kept my sanity. Yeah, to ground I, you. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you didn't miss a beat. You kept yeah. going, and and I I think you have to do that. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And and I thrived on it. And you know, for me, podcasting is one of those things where it's kind of like breathing. I just enjoy. You know, I, every opportunity I get, if somebody presents it, I I would get on the mic and do it at any point in time. But for my sanity, I I have to kind of monitor how I do it, just so that I don't I don't burn myself out. But no, absolutely. I it was it was it was air for me it really was.
0: Before you started I Am Northwest Arkansas, had you done any podcasting?
1: So, okay, that's a real leading question. I, I have, um, and, I, and I've and i talked a little bit about this on the podcast, and it's funny because I, I don't do many solo episodes. I primarily have guests on and I, I interview them, uh, but I, I've shared a little bit of my story. The, the, the quick cliff note version of my stories, I did a stint of time at ABC News, the network in Washington, D.C. So I worked directly with Ted Koppel. I was a a production assistant on Nightline. I worked on World News Tonight. I cut my teeth. I mean, I was there during the Monica Lewinsky scandal. So that's kind of dating me. But just to give people a perspective, I was there at a very heightened news time. But it was also pre-Twitter, pre-social media. So things still kind of moved at a slower pace. And there was more FaceTime required because you didn't have all of these Technological inventions that we have now that allow us to kind of be everywhere at all times. So it was different. But I also grew up in the household of an individual that was a trailblazer of his own. Right, uh, my grandfather Mal Good. He was the first Black network newscaster in all of of network television. ABC hired him in 1962. So when I when I was born in 1969, I I went to live with my grandparents because my mom was finishing up. College, and then she was going on to get her master's. And long story short, I grew up around somebody that—that's all I heard all day long. Three, two, one. Malgood, you know, ABC News, you know, United Nations, because his beat was the United Nations. So that's all I ever heard. It—it became internal in me, and I understood it. I just never utilized it. I did some stuff at Howard University. I was in the School of Communications. I did some a little bit of radio work, not nothing major. So your job is not threatened. (laughs) And uh, and then I said, you know, I just kind of put it away. And it was one of those things where I realized that, you know what, this is something that's been brewing in me for years I'm fifty-two years old now. My grandfather was fifty-four when ABC hired him in nineteen sixty-two mm-hmm. on the on the recommendation of Jackie Robinson, who he was a good friend of. The. The Jackie Robinson. Yeah, my grandfather and Jackie Robinson were like this, but and I'm I'm kind of putting my fingers together. But they they were they were like twinsies before there was such a word as twinsies. They were really close friends. And ABC had said, We really want to hire a black person. Who do you know? They brought in all of these really younger people, and then they brought my grandfather in, who had covered civil rights for uh, the black newspaper in Pittsburgh called the Pittsburgh Courier. Uh, and in most major cities around the country, there was a white newspaper and a black newspaper. And uh, even Kansas City has one. And yeah. uh, I think... Little, was, Rock them. Little Rock had one. Little Rock had one. Chicago Defender, the Amsterdam News in New York City. So anyway, he was he wrote for the Pittsburgh Courier, covered covered the South, uh, and also covered some of the Negro Leagues pre, pre-Jackie Robinson breaking into baseball, into Major League Baseball. So Anyway, they were they became really close friends. Um they 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 brought my grandfather up on a train to New York to audition and you know he wrote his own stuff and uh, there were like 40 people there. They ultimately hired him out of 40 people at the age of 54. Wow. That's why I always tell people, you know, it's never too late to do anything and here here you have an African American gentleman who in the twilight of his age um you know he was offered this opportunity so opportunities can come whenever whenever we le- when we least expect
0: i'm almost out of time here but i could i would love to know if and we'll save this for another time because <laughs> i'm not going to shoehorn this answer into but i'd love to know the conversations that your grandfather had with Jackie Robinson about breaking a barrier cuz oh, yeah. i'm yeah. sure if yeah. they were you know best friends that he had to ask what do you go through Network news and Major League Baseball not quite the same thing, but no.
1: but but a lot of the same concepts. Yeah, uh, a lot of the uh, you know um, dealing with trial and error, um, the 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 condition of you know just not being accepted mm-hmm. in places where you would want to be accepted. Or the
0: skepticism that you or
1: the skepticism. can't do it yeah, for whatever yeah, reason. Yeah. Yeah. Or that you're just a token individual right. that's come in and we're just throwing you a bone, if you will.
0: And then the added pressure of you better be
1: <laughs> all that. Right. Right? Right, I mean, right. Right. Because you're a yeah. pioneer. And... And, and and he did. He he brought that just, just real quickly because and, and we could certainly expand upon that maybe in a later a later Please. talk. Um, you know, my grandfather, his claim to fame was it and this was right after he got hired by ABC News. This was in April of 1962. And October of 1962, for our history majors out there, that's the closest that we've ever come to nuclear war. That was during the Cuban Missile Crisis. My grandfather broke the Cuban Missile Crisis story for ABC News, the network, because he happened to be in the United Nations the weekend that Kennedy and Khrushchev were back-channeling to tell each other to stand down so that they wouldn't launch those... those, um, Those missiles that were coming that were on the coast of Cuba, and uh, he covered that. And for three days, he never came home. He worked. He had my. Somebody brought him a couple of suits, and he stayed at the United Nations and covered this. And that's when breaking news was a big deal because you didn't see it that that much on TV in '62. And so, you know, people all over the country wrote him letters. People from Mississippi had said, "I I never I I couldn't believe I saw a black man on TV reporting the news." And you provided a level of comfort in such a tenuous time like that and i mean i remember him telling me stories about all these letters and what they meant to him and um that was that was kind of it that was the watershed moment and then from there it was it was game on uh,
0: okay we will go <laughs> deeper into that you are going to come back if people want to know here i am northwest arkansas where do they go
1: absolutely they can go to iamnorthwestarkansas.com we are on every major um, podcast platform, Apple, Spotify, Google Play. And then I also want to encourage people, if you have an Alexa at home, just say, hey, Alexa, play the latest I Am Northwest Arkansas episode, and it will do it. Just like Alexa will play, I do that for KUAF. Excellent. And I, and I ask Alexa to play, you know, the latest um, uh, Ozarks at Large. So it's very cool. Uh, but take advantage of those smart speakers where wherever you want to be, and you can check us out. And I'm just Randy at I Am Northwest Arkansas dot com.
0: If you want to participate or at least just watch uh, the upcoming—
1: Visit the, yeah. the Northwest Arkansas Council website, and that's just nwacouncil.org, and you'll see a, a little, little um, um, picture right at the top for the Onward Ozarks program. I really want to encourage you to sign up. It's going to be a COVID-19 physician panel. All your questions will be answered. That's 9 a.m. Thursday, the 28th of October. Don't miss it, and I hope to see you there. Randy, thanks so much for your time. Appreciate you, man. Thank you.
0: Randy Wilburn is the host of the podcast I Am Northwest Arkansas, and he's the moderator for the Onward Ozarks panel discussions that are hosted quarterly by the Northwest Arkansas Council. You can register for free for Thursday's panel by Zoom by following links at nwacouncil.org. New episodes of I Am Northwest Arkansas are available every Monday, and Randy spoke with us in the Anthony and Susan Hoy News Studio on Friday morning.
7: It's scratching the surface on KUAF. I'm Pete Hartman. Marlis Douglas is the Bruker Professor of Life Sciences at the University of Arkansas. Marlis, along with her husband Michael Douglas, also a professor at the U of A, have worked with a number of their peers throughout the country to come up with best practices for communicating science findings to the masses. The publication specifically speaks of climate science for fisheries professionals, which is Marlis's specialty
8: my team and I do research, which is called conservation genetics. So we use genetic methods to understand how fish and wildlife are influenced by the environment. In very simple terms, you can think of it as doing 23andMe to trace their ancestry. So we use similar methods to understand the history of fish and wildlife population to see how changes in say land use, climate change in the distant past, your geologic events and so on have caused species to move, populations to thrive, or even to decline and some to become extinct.
7: Marlis's team wanted to come up with a concise, structured way to better relay the data and findings from climate research to those in media, government, and to the population at large.
8: Research is not useful if we cannot explain it to natural research managers and other stakeholders like policymakers how to translate our research findings into applied management and policies. We really need to clearly communicate our science so we can reach broad audiences, use topics and language that really resonate with them.
7: Marla says that when those who might even have an interest in science get overwhelmed with the terms, numbers, and jargon, it can quickly turn into distrust of the information, something she says has played a part in pandemic information as well.
8: Climate science is very complex, and I understand, don't, wouldn't understand most of it. So how this climate science actually relates to our daily lives is not apparent to most people. So we as scientists, we need to make insights from our research, from climate science, relatable to people. They perceive information as it relates to their personal values and social norms. So they ask, why does this matter for me? Why should I care about this? Especially climate change is a very sensitive issue as the pandemic and what we do about it, because it's frightening. So if you just bombard people with problems, it just reinforces that. They turn away. People want solutions, things they can actively do, how they can be engaged to make their lives and those of neighbors and loved ones better. And so this is where the scientific community needs to establish a relationship of trust with the wider public.
7: Marlis says one simple way for scientists and researchers to do that, just be seen in the neighborhood.
8: So one role scientists can play, go out to, um, you know, their garden club, to their uh Local church group or whatever, so people with whom they have a history of shared interests and values and therefore trust. And this is really goes against our scientific training. As scientists, we have to be objective. Mm. We have to leave emotion out and so on. But that doesn't work for most people. So we really we are skilled, but now we have to develop the ability to connect with people and um, so it resonates with them.
7: This best practices guide that Marlis and her team have come up with is in no way the only resource for those in the science fields to adequately get the data to the masses. Marlis says there are options available to learn how to best communicate science.
8: And so, for example, the American Fisheries Society, professional society representing fisheries agencies, uh, scientists, students and so on, they developed a program which is called the Climate Ambassadors Programme. And they are training a group of 30 scientists to come up with presentations, with teaching modules, with outreach material other scientists can use uh, to reach out to the communities because we often don't quite know where to start and how to do it. This is a fabulous program um, because it will have this ripple effect, you know, you start somewhere, you make it available, videos, online tutorials, and then people can use this to communicate science to their individual communities.
7: Marlis Douglas is the Bruker Professor of Life Sciences at the University of Arkansas. Marlis, along with her husband Michael, also a professor at the U of A, were recently honored as fellows of the American Fisheries Society. She and a group of her peers have produced a Best Practices for Communicating Climate Change. You can find the paper online at climate.fisheries.org. Scratching the Surface is a production of KUAF Public Radio, a listener-supported service of the University of Arkansas in Fayetteville.
0: This is Ozarks at Large.
9: We were a political household i, I was not, not cognizant of that until I was an adult, and looked back uh, at how we grew up and the conversations that we went through and uh, talked about education and so on and uh, the the principles that my father tried to ingrain in it
0: that is again a familiar voice. Uh... We heard it last week. We did. Randy Dixon with the David and Barbara Pryor Center for Arkansas Oral and Visual History is with me. Back in your studio. In my studio. Fewer Emmy Awards in this studio, (laughs) however, Randy. We spent time with Dale Bumpers last week. We're going to have some more time with Dale Bumpers this week.
2: Well, last week we profiled his political career with use of the KATV archives, but uh, the Pryor Center which we do long-form interviews with Arkansans, uh, interviewed Dale Bumpers and Betty Bumpers to, for a, several hours. Um, back in 2010, Archie Schaefer and Ernie Dumas sat mm-hmm. down with, uh, with Dale Bumpers, and um, he just talked about his, his entire life and uh, it, it just reminisced.
0: Um, and Ernie Dumas, of course, a long time. Uh, Arkansas journalist.
2: Yes. And Archie Schaefer, uh, who was his chief of staff uh, oh, that's right. for yes, many years, and, but is also his nephew. Right. So uh, they both did the interviews and spent the entire day uh, with him. But our
9: father was our tutor. He was the disciplinarian, and uh, he, was, he, he was the one who who wanted us. To be schooled in uh, not just education, but he wanted us to be schooled in politics he wanted he wanted us to know who the first president of the United States was, who the present president of the United States was, and a lot of those in between. He was particularly uh, he was particularly in love with Abraham Lincoln. He he talked a lot about Lincoln. And so far as he was concerned, obviously, George Washington wasn't in the same league with Lincoln, intellectually or uh, in, in character. And he would talk about that. And so we grew up thinking about different politicians that had made this country great.
0: All right. So we know Dale Bumpers was born in Charleston, which isn't that far from when, where you and I are sitting. It's in Northwest, West Arkansas. That was in 1925.
2: That's right. And he was, as we heard, his father had a big influence on him, but uh, his, his mother and father were uh, very active in the Methodist church there. And uh, anyway, he grew up, went to public schools in Charleston, and then came to, up here to the University of Arkansas. And spent some time in the Marines because it was World War II, spent three years there, and then graduated from Northwestern University Law School in Chicago. And at that point, he returned to Charleston to practice law.
0: Charleston was not then nor is now a big city.
2: That's right. He was actually the only attorney in town. He he wrote his book the best lawyer in a one-lawyer town, and he he wasn't kidding. He was the only one.
0: All right, so we have him talking to Ernie Dumas and Archie Schaefer about when he gathered the family together to say in 1970, I'm going to run for governor.
9: Well, we met in Chicago, and and I laid it out for him in about an hour uh, what, what, what the chances were, what the geographics were, everything. The politics of it. And my sister, my sister said, now I want to make sure I understand this. You're telling me that there are eight people in the race counting you? And I said, yes. One is the attorney general and one is the House speaker. The others uh, have held public office or they wouldn't be in the legislature. I said, yes. She named one or two others. And she says, and if you win, if you if you win the Democratic primary, that you also have to, in order to win it, you also have to beat Orville Faubus. I said, yes, that's true too. And then if you defeat Orville Faubus, you've got to get a, run against the governor, Winthrop Rockefeller, in the Republican runoff and the Republican election, general election. I said, yes, that's right. And she she was not above. Foul language. And I, I'll skip the foul language. She said, I ain't getting involved in this mess. This is the craziest thing I've ever heard of. Ego trip. Or something ego sure. trip, yeah. And she said, she uses profanity, you know, this so and so ego trip. And so we stayed two more hours, and my brother was making my case for me all during that two hours, and I left there with $50,000 in my pocket. And so that's what we
2: started with. And so he did make the decision to run. And last week we played a portion of his announcement. And it I thought, you know, great piece of history, very positive. Well, he didn't really see it that way.
9: It, it was the, the biggest downer of my life. I had uh, <clears throat> some of the uh, Little Rock Press Corps was there. The more prestigious people like you were not there, and uh, so they started asking sort of silly questions because they th- they thought the whole thing was a joke. They thought thought that my whole campaign, my whole everything, was a joke, and they were they were uh, they trying to make a funny funny thing out of it. There were a few people. There were about fifty people. That we had rounded up to get there, just so we had a crowd. And the and I was asked kind of foolish questions, and I tried to keep it on a serious track without much success. But in any event, there were two or three people there who thought it might be uh, doable, not not easily doable, but the, they they didn't think it was a funny thing. They didn't think it was a joke. They thought it was. Uh, a thing that was worth them paying attention to and writing a story about it, in which they did. But when I left there, I'd never been so depressed in my life, because I knew knew that nobody there was really taking this candidacy very serious.
0: This is why these interviews are so interesting to me, these things that we assume... How someone felt or thought at the time are not necessarily the case.
2: Well, the news had one perspective, right. and then he had a completely different one that I had no idea about until he told the story.
0: All right. He wins, and he wins re election for governor. That's back when Arkansas gubernatorial terms were for two years. Right.
2: Not only did he win the Democratic primary, he beat. Uh, Winthrop Rockefeller. The incumbent. Yes, in in the general election.
0: All right. Then, then, after two terms as governor, or actually during the second term of governor, he announces he's going to go for an even bigger seat.
2: Yeah, and it was pretty gutsy. Uh, he had been known to the public for less than four years, and all of a sudden he's decided he's going to run against Senator William Fulbright.
0: Who's a household name not just across the state, not just across the nation, but across the world.
2: That's right. And uh, he knew that it was it was going to be a, a tough hill to climb.
0: Well, Bill Fulbright,
9: I had been a strong admirer of Bill Fulbrights. So I I thought he was a great senator, a very bright man. Uh, you know, maybe made a few votes that I took exception to, but for the most part, he was... Uh, He was well-known, well-liked, bright, and served us well. Having said that, I also knew, looking at the poll numbers, that if I didn't run, somebody that, I hate to say this, somebody that would not have been my equal could have defeated him. And uh, I thought if somebody was going to defeat him, it ought to be me. That sounds arrogant, but... uh, I just, uh, when I looked at those poll numbers and I saw how lopsided they were, I decided I had to do it. And I tried to make it as pleasant as possible. I mean, Senator Fulbright got a little bit raunchy at times, but, and I I could see that he was, you know, he was so unhappy. And he was telling his close friends, you know, I just can't believe that uh, the governor would do this to me. I thought he was my friend and so on. But, you know, in politics, you have to understand one thing. You have to look out for yourself, or you've wound up behind the fence. I didn't want to run against Bill Fulbright. He was a friend. He was everything you'd want in a politician. But if I didn't run based on the poll numbers I was looking at, he was going to beat—somebody was going to beat him. And it could have been somebody like Jim Johnson— And so I had no difficulty in finally making up my mind to run against Senator Fulbright, even though it was very unpleasant.
0: All right. Senator Bumpers, well, not yet Senator Bumpers, Dale Bumpers beats uh, Senator Fulbright in that Democratic primary. It's sort of young lion versus established veteran of the Senate. And hard to believe now, perhaps, because they are two of the biggest names in Arkansas politics history, but... Senator Fulbright wasn't that pleased that he had to face and then lose to Dale Bumpers.
2: Well, he and he, he held on to that resentment for years. Um, and they didn't speak. So uh, it, he's telling the story of, of how they finally made up. He, uh, he had refused to speak to me. He didn't want to
9: see me. Uh, nothing. And one time after about... Oh, between five and ten years after that election, Harriet, his wife, told me that he got up every morning in a foul mood, just to harump this and harump that. This is awful and that's terrible. And he just couldn't believe that Governor Bumpers would take him on like that after all he'd done for me. And she said to him one morning, she said, you know... You ought to try to make up with Senator Bobbers. Are you crazy? She said, well, I think he'd be happy to make up with you. And she said, uh, you, you could establish a relationship with him and it'd work out fine for you, and he just wasn't having any of that. And uh, she, she said, you know, if you had your choice of people to succeed you as senator, you would have easily chosen Senator Bumpers. Uh, You'd said nice things about him, you thought he was doing a good job, and because you got beat, you were making a big deal out of it against him. She said he didn't say a word. She said if you really were the kind of person you ought to be, you'd go get on that phone and call Senator Bumpers and ask him if he'd have lunch with you tomorrow. And he just rumped that one away, too. So anyway, uh, he came down the next morning and told his wife, he said, uh, Harriet, she said, Harriet, I've been thinking about what you said. And I think I'll do that. I think I'll call Lee Williams and have him call Senator Bumpers and see if we can get together. And she said, don't you do that, you let... Uh, you let Lee Williams, he said he was going to call me, and she said, "No, don't you do that? You let Lee call him, and so Lee called me and asked me about it, and I said, "Well, Lee, you know, I would love to have lunch with senator fulbright he was I've always been a fan of his, and I've just been so sad through the years that we haven't been able to make up so uh, we set up the meeting at the 116 club and we met for three hours and it was a really genuinely healthy experience for both of us
0: listening to the voice of dale bumpers from an interview with the uh, prior center for arkansas oral visual history he died in 2016 this interview is in 2010
2: yes yes
0: randy dixon is with the david and barbara prior center for arkansas oral visual history where can we find this dale bumpers interview and so much more
2: just go google prior center And go to the Arkansas Memories section, and you'll find all kinds of interviews. All right. Thank you, Randy. Thank you. I'll see you next week.
0: This is 91.3 KUAF, Fayetteville, Fort Smith, Bentonville, and Skylight. 91.3 KUAF, a listener-supported service of the University of Arkansas. Today's show, produced by Timothy Dennis. Oh, my goodness, great to have Timothy Dennis back from vacation. Contributors today included Jacqueline Froehlich and Randy Dixon with the David and Barbara Pryor Center for Arkansas Oral and Visual History. Additional content today provided by the good folks in the newsroom at KUAR Public Radio for Little Rock and Central Arkansas. Daryl Shaw is the creator and performer of our theme, From the Carver Center for Public Radio, I'm Kyle Kellams. Please be well.